James chapter 5 will cover verses 13 through 18, and the title of today's study is Prayer is Effective. Uh, Prayer is Effective. Now, we're in the book of James. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing in the early church. Some believe this is the earliest book that we have of the New Testament. And he's writing to 12 tribes that have been dispersed, probably being persecuted and suffering. If you're familiar with the book of James in chapter 1, a few references elsewhere throughout the book, he makes mention to suffering and trials. And he, he tells the believers to keep walking well, and in fact, to even welcome trials into their lives because it develops character within them. And the, the great theme of this book we find in chapter 2, as James details, as he says in verse 20, that faith without works is dead. Another phrase that I'm reminded of when I hear that is when Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he says, hey, we should be walking worthy of the calling to which we have been called. So James is writing and he's saying, we have this faith and we've professed faith in Jesus. There should be a lifestyle, there should be works that accompany our faith in the Lord. And one of those outworkings of faith that we find here in this chapter is prayer. If we are believers in the Lord and believers of his word, we should be people of prayer. We should be those seeking his face. And specifically here, James is going to be talking about supplication and, and coming to the Lord and asking him to intervene in our life. That's specifically what we're going to be uh, looking at in the verses this morning. So, faith without works is dead. We should have a faith that has works coming from, forth from it. Now, I'll say here right off from the beginning, uh, today it's not going to be a you need to pray more uh, message. I think if we're all honest with ourselves we understand that we can grow in our, our prayer life, and there's ways in which we can grow deeper. But this is just an encouragement that, as James is going to say here, if you have a need, pray. If you have something in your life that you want the Lord to address, then bring it before Him. Ask Him to work in those situations and stand back and be amazed at how the Lord will do that because prayer is effective. Let's read there in verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. In the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. If you have a need, pray. In the first couple of verses, James asks three different questions of his listeners, each with an exhortation, a similar exhortation, to take action. In verse 13, he asks, is anyone among you suffering? Then he asks, is 
anyone among you cheerful? And then in verse 14, he asks, is anyone among you sick? So here we have three varied life circumstances, each with a similar exhortation. For the one who's suffering, it says, let him pray. For the one who is happy, he is to sing praise to God, a form of prayer, lifting praise to the Lord and thanking him for who he is and his faithfulness. And also, is anyone among you sick? He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, through these three questions, James really encapsulates all of what we could really encounter in life. Times of suffering, times when things are going well, and a more specific example of if someone has a physical ailment in their body. See, there's always an appropriate response to the Lord, no matter what season we find ourselves in, and that is a life of prayer. His exhortation is really that in every condition we would find ourselves, we should be seeking the face of God. There's always an an appropriate response, prayer, whether in the form of praise or in supplication. See, there really isn't a circumstance in life where prayer isn't appropriate. I'm reminded of what Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians. 5, verses 16 through 18, where he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Sometimes we ask of the Lord, what is your will for my life? Here is one clear exhortation that we have. This is God's will for you, that you pray always, that you give thanks constantly, and rejoice in the Lord. Now let's look at this first question. He says, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. I want to give you that same encouragement this morning. If you are suffering, come to Jesus. Ask him for strength and for help for you to endure. Know that he's working in the midst of your circumstances, no matter how bleak they are and whether or not you can see it. I love that song. Waymaker, where it says, even when I don't see it, you're moving and working. The Lord is working on our behalf. And you know, sometimes when we endure suffering, if if you're like me, sometimes I can be tempted to question God and, and be angry with the Lord for what he's doing. Like, why would you allow this in my life? What are you doing? We can't make sense of what the Lord is doing so we can be tempted to question or, or hold anger in our lives toward the Lord for what he has allowed. Now, suffering is challenging. I don't think any of us would deny that. But it's more than something just to, to endure. It is that. But it's an opportunity for us to grow in our faith to a deeper level. It's an opportunity for us to know more about the Lord's character as we fellowship with him. I think about the scriptures that speak of Jesus and how he was tempted and how he was tried and we saw his suffering. He can sympathize with us as we suffer ourselves and can so extend compassion in those moments. Suffering is challenging, but I want to encourage you that if you find yourself in suffering this morning, look for the Lord there and pray. There are things that I have learned of God's character, and I'm sure many of you have, 
that I probably wouldn't understand to the depths that I do. I'm not saying like I'm some scholar on all the characteristics of the Lord because I've been through everything in life. That's not the case. But I have endured some situations in which I've experienced the love of God like I haven't if not for that trial. And I'm sure you've experienced the same things as well. Pray if you find yourself in suffering because the Lord will come alongside you. Remember, he, he cares for you, as Peter says. Cast your cares on the Lord, for he cares for you. Now, this suffering, it might be a result of simply just the world that's fallen around us. We live in a world that has, has been um, affected by sin in every way. And there are things that happen to us. People do things to us. Our bodies fail, and it's a result of sin. So maybe not the result of somebody doing something or, or anything like that, but it could be persecution, as is the case for these individuals. So suffering, it's a wide range of things. Maybe you have brought this suffering upon yourself through something you've done or not done, a relationship that has been broken. I want to encourage you, pray. Ask the Lord to intervene in those situations to restore or to cause you to walk in, in holiness. And I want to encourage you, God wants to work in your life and in your situation. If we will humble ourselves, the Lord will extend grace to us. And here's the thing, God is like no other. In the Old Testament, he distinguished himself above all other so-called gods as the one who hears from heaven and answers. And so it's not that, you know, we, we pray just for something to happen in our life. We commune with the Lord. He's in heaven. He hears us, and he works on our behalf when we come and seek his face. In suffering, seek after God and pray. Ask him to work in your circumstance and for him to bring about his will. Surrender your heart. Surrender the situation. And, you know, I think sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is to surrender the outcome of the situation. When we find ourselves in suffering and we find ourselves in a position where we can't control what is going on around us, sometimes we tend to panic and we try to grasp for, for control in some way and it clouds our vision from the Lord and, and we, we just can't come to terms with the outcome that's opposite of what we're asking the Lord to do. But even surrender the outcome to God because in those moments where we surrender the outcome, of our suffering. There's such freedom that comes in there. It doesn't make the situation easier in the sense that the situation goes away. But the Lord brings his peace and his comfort and he gives us strength to endure in those moments. Surrender even the outcome to the Lord. So suffering, if you're suffering, pray. He goes on to say if you are cheerful, hey, if things are going well for you, similarly, let the Lord know you're thankful. Give him praise. I know we're familiar with this phrase. Maybe you've heard it. You know, if, if you're not in a trial, you're either coming out of one or you're going into one. Seasons of peace and cheer, they are really precious, especially considering the hard things that we go through in life. So if you are in a season of peace where there isn't much turmoil, let your thanksgiving and praise rise to the Lord. Give him thanks for the blessings and favor that he has shown in your life. And I think to a real extent, these exhortations are appropriate in reverse as well. Give praise to the Lord when you are suffering. The Lord is worthy of praise, even when we endure. 
And when things are going well, ask him to deepen your faith, to show him where you need to trust him more. Really, James is saying, whatever the circumstance, turn to God and seek him. Praise him when it's appropriate. There isn't ever a season of life where we are to go it alone. We are to pursue the Lord in prayer always. So, if you're suffering, pray. If you are cheerful, let your songs rise to the Lord of thanksgiving. We continue in verse 15 of a, a more specific uh, circumstance of suffering, physical sickness. In verse 14, he asks, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So he says, if anybody's sick, they are to call on the elders of the church to pray over them, and also to be anointed with oil. And if sins have been committed, uh, promises of forgiven, um, excuse me, a promise of forgiveness is given. The Lord really gives us a prescription for sickness here. And this is the great physician's prescription for sickness. Come and pray and ask the spiritual leaders of the church to pray over you and anoint you with oil. We are to be those who are again turning to God and petitioning him to be at work in our lives. And some of the construction here of these sentences makes it seem, and James is saying here, that it is possible that if you are sick, it could be a result of sin in your life, though not in every circumstance. So, is it possible that sickness is a result of sin in one's life? James says, the prayer of faith will save the sick, the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Yeah, it's possible. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. Paul, writing to a church that had just been gripped by immorality, and he's saying, no wonder some of you are sick. In fact, some of you are even dying as a result of the choices that you are making. So, yeah, it is possible that if we have something, some sickness or ailment in our body, it could be a result of sin. But James says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So it's not a given that every time we have sickness, in fact, I would probably say most of the time it's just a result of the fallen world in which we live. But there are times that we do have sickness that enters our body because of sin in our life that has not been dealt with. One example of this that I think of, that I have, in fact, experienced in my life, goes along the lines of really a similar passage to what we have here in James. It's Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. Familiar passage to us, but Paul exhorts individuals really to, to not be anxious about anything, to pray about everything, and give thanks. And instead of thinking on those things that would bring anxious thoughts, that might exacerbate the, the, the anxiety. He says to go on and think about the things of the Lord, to think on things that are praiseworthy and honorable, to think on things that are noble, and to take things to the Lord in prayer. And I'm sure some of you have experienced this as well, but if, if anxiety like this goes unchecked in our life, physical sickness can come as a result 
of our neglect to bring our cares before the Lord, to, to, to stop uh, wallowing in those anxious thoughts. This is something that I have experienced in my life, and it wasn't until I confessed that sin to the Lord of anxiety, and times come, but I don't have those physical ailments in my body at this point in time, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. So if sins have been committed and sickness is a result of those sins, when those are confessed and when the prayer of faith is offered up, the Lord will raise you up. And with this condition, James rules out the idea that all sickness is caused by sin in someone's life. Now, we also have this other element of coming forth in prayer in verse 14. So let them pray over him. And it says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is an act that is familiar to us in Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, individuals were anointed with oil. David is an example. When he was anointed to be king, this was a symbol of God's presence and power over him for a specific work, the Spirit of God coming and touching him in a special way. Uh, we also see in the New Testament in Mark 6.13 and Luke 10.34 that oil was used um, topically for Medicinal purposes also. Josephus talks about here the great in, in history. This is not in scripture, but about um, given, being given a bath in, in hopes of a cure. So we have different applications of oil here. And while history and even scripture says that oil does have some medicinal qualities, I believe really what James has in mind here is this symbol of the Spirit of God coming upon an individual and touching them in a powerful way as they come forth in faith to pray. Now, there are some who seek to profit off of uh, superstitions concerning this verse. Some will say that, you know, there is miraculous healing power in oil. I, I've seen advertisements for people who sell oils and, and claim that it's a miracle oil and 100% of the time, if you apply it, it's you're going to be healed and you've done something wrong if you're not healed and it's nothing more than olive oil that you can find at the local store put in a different bottle with a fancy sticker and a slogan. Listen, the healing power is in the Lord. It says the Lord will raise him up. The prayer of faith is that vehicle by which we come to the Lord and ask him to pray, and it's the Lord dispensing his grace. But I don't want us to miss the fact that this is God's prescription. He wants us to come in obedience to, to this in asking for prayer. And so the exhortation is, if you're sick, come and ask the leaders of the church to pray and anoint you with oil. Well, what if I'm sick and there's not oil to be anointed? <laughs> it's about seeking the Lord. The Lord isn't constrained by what we have or don't have on hand. What if the elders of the church aren't available? Who's around you? Are there mature believers around you who can come and pray? Because the Lord hears them as well. Uh, but there is something special, too, just about coming before the leadership of the church who care for you and shepherd you and, and being able to bring that need before them. But the prayers of, of the saints around you are just as effective. The point is this. God wants place in your life. And if you are sick, ask him to work. Ask him to heal. Ask him to give you strength during that time. And the prayer of faith, James says... 
will, will save the sick, and the Lord is the one who will raise them up. Now, some have also said that James in these verses is guaranteeing a physical healing whenever someone who is sick would be prayed for in this manner. But we know from Scripture that God does not always heal. So why is it that we come here in this way not knowing whether or not the Lord will heal? Well, it's a prayer of faith and an act of humility to come to the Lord and to so ask for prayer. See, when we come and ask for prayer, we step forward into, in, in faith to God's word, his prescription. He says, if you're sick, come and pray in this way. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Well, how much faith? Do you have prayer to come and ask? Do you have faith to come and ask the Lord to work? That's, that's all the faith the Lord needs to work with. It's, Lord, I have enough faith to come and ask. Would you do this? So I encourage you, if you have a physical need that you want God to heal and intervene, come and ask. The Lord works through prayer and through faith. What if I'm not healed? Well, either your healing is coming, or God will make his strength perfect in your weakness, as he did with Paul in the thorn in the flesh. Paul contended with the Lord and asked him to heal, and the Lord said no said, my grace, my strength, it's going to be sufficient for you, Paul. So, is prayer effective even if God doesn't heal? Absolutely. It absolutely is effective. See, prayer's effectiveness, the Lord's faithfulness, is not contingent on whether or not he chooses to heal our physical bodies or work in whatever circumstance we are bringing before him. There are times he heals, and there are times that he doesn't. His ways are not our ways. They are higher than our ways. I can't explain why the Lord would heal one individual and not heal another. But we are to submit to his answer, but not neglect coming to him in faith. We've walked through this recently with my mother. Many of you know that uh, for about three quarters of a year, my, my mom uh, had leukemia. She's a believer. Uh, we prayed. One of, one of my just favorite memories at the time is just after she got the news, um, and we got the news too, we went and visited, and we prayed. Uh, we anointed her with oil. We prayed there in the living room that I grew up in. We anointed with oil, and we believed that God would heal and perform a miracle. She believed that the Lord would perform a miracle, and yet now she is in eternity with the Lord. God didn't heal her physical body. I don't know why, other than I know it wasn't his will. But that shouldn't prevent us from coming and asking the Lord to do a work. Amen. James also in this book says, you have not because you ask not. Now he's talking about other things, but it applies to this as well. I would rather not have a healing for myself or another individual because that's the Lord's answer and his will, not because I haven't asked for it. We should be those who come in faith and ask, just simply like what the Lord has said here. Come and ask. And we submit, again, the outcome. We submit that to him, but we believe in faith that he can heal. And the Lord does heal. He performs miracles. Nothing can hinder him from performing a miracle. We are just to come in faith and ask him. I don't want to be one who doesn't have because I haven't asked. 
Now, does all this mean that I shouldn't see a doctor or take medicine? No, this doesn't mean this. Uh, This means that God wants to be in it, and he wants to have the priority. How does this work out practically? Well, if you have an appointment this week, just come and pray first. Come and ask the Lord to do a work. Come and ask him to touch you and bring healing. And and maybe you've prayed for physical healing, and, and it hasn't been immediate for you. Well, keep doing what you've been instructed to do and seek the Lord until he says, like he did Paul, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. So, it doesn't mean that we stop seeking uh, medical help. That's not something that the Lord frowns upon. He, he wants us just to come in faith and ask Him to work. Uh, he wants us to, to come and seek His face. So, come and pray. Receive prayer if you have an ailment. And the prayer of faith. The prayer that believes and trusts the Lord will save the sick. And the Lord is the one who raises up. And if you have committed sins and your sickness for some reason is a result of your sins, you will be forgiven in that way. Now, James continues this thought of forgiveness of sin in verse 16. He says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So he says generally, for those who have stumbled and sinned, James says, confess your sins to one another. So, just like what Jesus has taught, if we have sinned against another, we go to them, we ask forgiveness from them, and we ask forgiveness from the Lord. Now, in a more general sense, also here, James says, if we are ensnared in sin, if we find ourselves sinning, there are times when we are to confess our sin to one another before the Lord, asking for forgiveness. This word confess, especially as it relates to sin, means to agree with God's assessment of your action or inaction. In other words, to recognize your trespass as sin. The root meaning of this word means to say the same thing. So when we confess our sin, we are agreeing with with God's assessment that what we've done is a transgression against Him first and foremost and against another individual. Now he says, confess to one another. This carries the idea of a public confession. It also includes the idea of a private confession as well. James knows the destructive power of sin, secret sin, public sin, and he calls those who have sinned to confess. Unconfessed sin has the ability to wreak havoc on our lives. Confession is an important tool that the Lord uses to free us from sin. Now, a couple things on confession. It should be done honestly and sincerely. If you come to someone and ask for forgiveness with no intention of changing, or you're not really have that, you don't have that godly sorrow produced in your heart, that's not honest and sincere confession. The Lord knows our hearts. So come and confess and do so honestly and sincerely. But confession should also be modest, especially if it's done in a public setting. I think especially of matters of sexual sin or sins of similar natures. These should be confessed to somebody of the same gender. And when we confess 
uh, in public, the, the confession should be appropriately specific, not like we're airing dirty laundry for everyone to see, but appropriately specific. I'll read to you a quote from uh, one commentator. He says, and I think it just, it gives us just some good wisdom of how to handle this. He says, if you sin secretly, confess secretly, admitting publicly that you need the victory, but keeping details to yourself. If you sin openly, confess openly to remove stumbling blocks from those whom you have hindered. See, confession costs us something. It costs us our pride. You know, the, the idea that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, or do you just keep burying the, the sin and persisting in it? The confession that says, God, I've done bad things. I really am going to try and change. That really doesn't cost me anything. Now, if it's set out of a genuine heart, sure. But it costs me something to be specific and say, listen, I've said some really harsh words to you. Please forgive me for not setting a watch over my mouth and for sinning against you with, your, with my words. Please forgive me. That same author says, it costs nothing for a church member to admit in a prayer meeting, I am not what I ought to be. I mean, join the club. We're all there, right? I am not what I should be. But it costs more to say, I ought to be a better Christian. It costs something to say, I've been a troublemaker in this church. It costs something to say, I have bitterness of heart toward you, and I ask your forgiveness. Confession is a point of humility in our life. And there is, the Lord sets us free and heals us, as it says in verse 16, that you may be healed. Confess your trespasses that you may be healed. This also can refer to that sickness. But I believe specifically, it also refers to spiritual healing from that ensnaring sin. When we confess that sin to a brother or sister, or when we confess to that group that we have offended, the Lord releases the power of that sin over our life and we can walk in freedom. It's no longer secret. It no longer has its hold on us. It doesn't mean that we won't stumble again, but it doesn't have the hold on us that it once had. And a word to us who receive such a confession. We are to be those who receive that brother or sister with the grace and the mercy of God as he has received us. 1 Peter 4, verse 8 says, Above all things, have a fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Not covered in the sense of, of just sweeping it under the rug, but that love covers the sin. It doesn't broadcast it out, but it seeks to bring and restore that individual. It doesn't parade the failings of individuals around. It seeks to speak truth and love and grace and mercy into that individual's life. Now, there are things that can keep us from confessing, so what might those be? I think a great one is fear of what others might think of us. The enemy loves to throw those thoughts into our minds. You can't confess. Think about what they might think of you. The enemy will even think, make us think that we're the only one who has struggled with that thought or with that sin. And these things he uses to keep you trapped where you are, sometimes it's our pride. We don't think we have a problem. Or... We're too proud to come forward in an act of humility and ask for forgiveness. Could it be that you haven't experienced victory in your life because you have unconfessed sin? James says there's victory and healing that comes from the Lord when we confess our sins. I'm grateful that his goodness, as we've sung this morning, 
is what leads us to repentance. See, confession is nothing to shy away from. We should run to the Lord and confess our sins, and if appropriate, confess our sins to one another. With Jesus, there is healing and forgiveness and grace and mercy in the confession of sin. Jesus has made a way of reconciliation for your spiritual healing. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need cleansed, confess your sin. It says the Lord is faithful. He's just to forgive you of your sin, to forgive me of my sin. I will say this. It is much better to reveal through your confession your sin than to have it exposed openly by the Lord. Unconfessed sin may be concealed for a time, but there will come a time where your sin will find you out. God will reveal it in time. You know, I think God's grace is found in both in that he won't allow you to persist in that sin forever. But God delights in showing mercy to the humble. If you find yourself in sin, as James says, Confess your sins. Pray for one another that you may be healed. He goes on to say the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He says the effective fervent prayer. Those prayers which are aligned with truth in the heart of God. Those prayers which are earnest and passionate. Not with human bravado but with heavenly concern. Persistence and fervency should mark our prayer life. Consider the promises of Scripture that we have. Knowing these, we should be rushing into the throne room. Our God hears and answers prayer. He longs to move and to work on our behalf. And we should take him at his word and be those who are fervent in prayer. So he says, the effect of fervent prayer, and he goes on to say, of a righteous man who is righteous. Well, someone who recognized that the terms by which he's able to approach the throne of grace is according to the righteousness of Jesus, which is received in faith. If you are saved, you are righteous before the Lord. The righteous have ear with the Lord. But in a book where James is calling people to walk out their faith and not persist in sin, not to show favoritism, but to include, not to to let their mouth go unrestrained, but to speak only things that are for edification, calling people to have works because faith without works is dead, I also believe that James has in mind how we live our lives day to day, practical righteousness in the life of an individual. Our prayers can be hindered if we aren't righteous in our living. Psalm 66, 18 is clear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Peter gives an exhortation to husbands to give honor to the wife, to dwell with them in understanding with the idea that if they don't, their prayers may be hindered. See, our holiness or our lack thereof affects the effectiveness of our prayers. So, maybe you haven't been hearing from the Lord or or you've been praying and you haven't seen any progress. It could be that you have unconfessed sin in your life. You're not walking in holiness. But one thing I do know is that the prayer that God will always hear when we are ensnared in sin is that prayer of brokenness and confession and repentance. Always. He says, 
the effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. Fervent prayers of a righteous individual produce fruit. God loves to work on behalf of his children who come to him in prayer. God works and moves through the prayers of his children. An example of this is Elijah. As we close in verses 17 and 18, the worship team can come as we close. Elijah was a man, it says in verse 17, with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let this be an example to us, that we should come and ask God to work and move full of faith, knowing that there is nothing that constrains him. He can do all things. I want to encourage you, just like James did, if you have a need, come and pray. Come to the Lord and let him know what you have need of. He already knows what we have need of even before we come and ask him, but he wants us to come to him and declare our need, to ask him to intervene, and he he never tires of us coming to him. I also want to encourage you, if you have a physical ailment, uh, we're going to be here. We, we are ready to pray for you, anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, and ask the Lord to do a work in your body. And if you need to confess sin, don't leave here today without confessing to another. Confess your sin that you may be healed. Maybe you need to make a phone call. Do it right away. If you need to have that conversation in the car as you drive home or that conversation over lunch, have that conversation. Ask for forgiveness. Confess. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. When we confess and we ask forgiveness, the Lord wraps us with his mercy and grace. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is mercy and forgiveness. Confess your sin. And if you are not a believer and you are convicted by the Lord of your need for forgiveness, then today confess your sin. Confess Jesus as Lord, that he went to the cross, died for your sin, that you might be forgiven, rose on the third day, that you could have eternal life with him. Confess him. He will forgive you and he will come and live in you. Lord, I thank you so much that prayer is effective. We can come and seek your face no matter what we endure, and you're there to meet us. You show us who you are, you work, you heal, and you give us strength to walk through things we thought we couldn't walk through. I thank you for that. So Lord, I pray that as we go forth from this this place, Lord, that you would remind us to continually come to you. It's simple. Come and pray. And I thank you that we can come into the throne room of grace, find mercy and help in time of need. And so we look to you. We pray that you go before us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.